Ledge podcast number 74 and this week we're getting submerged into the world of aquascaping with George Farmer. I'm host Jane Perrone and welcome to my oral terrarium. Yes that's what a listener described on the ledge as in a lovely iTunes review this week. Thank you very much to Work Smarter who left me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. How nice of you. I really appreciate it. If you want to leave a review for the podcast please do. The other recent review that I liked was entitled My Quirky and Brilliant Pseudo Aunt. I guess she means me. World-famous aquascaper George Farmer is my guest on the show this week. I find out how he got started in the world of creating wonderful underwater landscapes and how a hobby that turned into a profession has helped him cope with the after-effects of PTSD. And I squeeze lots of practical tips out of George as well for anyone wanting to get started in aquascaping or indeed up their game. Also coming up... A Q&A about a raindrop peperomia with curling leaves. Yes, what is making the leaves of your plant curl? We'll find out some possible answers in that coming up halfway through the show. But before I play the interview with George, just a word about merchandising. As you know, On The Ledge podcast has recently changed its logo to something very cool and minimalist. That logo is starting to replace the old logo in most locations but it may take a few more days for me to totally strip out the old one and replace it with the new but if you want to display this new logo about your very person the opportunity is there because I have set up a merch shop for On The Ledge. If you go to janeperone.com in the top right hand corner you'll find a link called shop that's what you need to click on and you can buy your own tote bags, mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, vests. There's all sorts there for every taste. And for the next week and a half, there's 15% off. So do go and nab yourselves a little Christmas present for the plant lover in your life or indeed for yourself, because I think there's nothing better than a Christmas present you've bought yourself, is there? So please do go and check that out and tell me what you think. If there's something that you'd like to see in the shop that isn't there, then let me know. And welcome to my new patrons this week, Constance and Starlight Botanist. Thanks for joining the elite band of On The Ledge podcast Patreon supporters. It's great to have you on board. Right, without any further ado, it's off to George's place to talk about aquascaping. As ever, do pop over to the show notes at janeperone.com to see a wonderful picture of the aquascape that we talk about in the interview in all its glory and lots of info on the plants and creatures that we mention and indeed the aquascaping book that we talk about. Without any further ado, let's sink beneath the surface with George. Hi, my name's George Farmer. I'm a full-time aquascaper and I live in Cambridgeshire. We're here in your in your home, which already is, from the lovely reflections on the ceiling, I can see that there's lots of aquascaping in your very own home. I recognise this big tank from some of your social media. Yeah. Um, how did this start? Were you a kid in your bedroom with 
with plants and, and fish in a tank? Did it go way back to that, those kind of days or is this something you picked up later in life? Yeah, I actually started my own, I bought my first aquarium in 2002, so relatively late, but I've always like been interested in aquariums. So I think my uncle had one when I was four years old. I was absolutely fascinated by it. Um, and we had one at school as well, primary school, and I was absolutely fascinated by that. But it wasn't until you know late on in my adult life that I actually took the plunge, so to speak. And let's just talk about the word aquascaping. Some of my listeners, well, I'm sure, will know all about this subject, but some of us might not be totally familiar with what that actually means. What is aquascaping? The easiest way to describe it um, is to think of a landscape gardener, but underwater. So aquascaping instead of landscaping. Okay, and are there always fish involved, or can it be a can it be a plants only environment? For sure, you can definitely only use plants, but we often use fish and shrimp, uh, maybe some ornamental snails, just to add that little bit of movement, a little bit of extra colour. Um, and so, a lot of people will buy an aquarium and just use it as a, a, a generic fish tank with plastic plants, and, and then they'll have the fish in there. Obviously, that's the main attraction, and then they'll a lot of it is the journey of, of that beginner stage of mm. this beginner fish tank and taking it to the next level and gradually becoming. You're more interested in aquascaping. I like having the fish because I think they're just greatly entertaining um, to watch. I've always loved watching fish from the time of having fish tanks in my bedroom as a little kid. What I love about your tanks, though, is they're so sort of stylish you don't have a lot of fish tanks that you buy like when you buy a starter kit they some of them i mean it's improving an awful lot actually in the last few years from the, the stuff i'm seeing um in aquarium supply shops but some of it's really ugly whereas you've managed to sort of simplify things here to make it really simple and attractive looking so that it fits into a, any living room without feeling like oh this person's got this weird thing yeah. going on in the corner for, for us it's for me personally and uh, the sort of style of aquascaping I'm into it's less is more with the equipment so you want your eyes to be drawn to the actual aquascape and not the equipment so we use rimless aquarium so there's no hood on it open top braceless so there's no cross braces on it or anything and we use low iron glass so the glass is super transparent which means you know you, you're viewing into the aquarium you know with as little distraction as possible we use suspended lighting which you can see um, and it just gives you this hopefully the illusion of almost like a floating column of water and then you have the aquascope inside we even use glass filter in inlets and outlets so you, you know these are they're a little bit dirty at the moment <laughs> i do apologize it's <laughs> <laughs> quite all right i mean um, but yeah the idea is hopefully that you can see it, it kind of blend yeah like you say it blends in with any kind of interior design because it is so minimal and the main the main event is the aquascape so what was it that led you to to starting to go into this as a full-time profession as opposed to a hobby that you enjoyed doing in your free time that's a great question um (laughs) you you must have been convinced that there was a market out there for this yeah yeah definitely so i bought my first aquarium in 2002 and then i'm the sort of character that gets when i get into something i really really get into it become almost obsessive Mm. um and so I, i bought my first aquarium and i'm I'm a big fan of nature and the outdoors and, and landscape photography and things like this. And so it was a natural sort of choice to go for a planted aquarium. Um, and so I did a bit of research and then long story short, I discovered the work of Takashi Amano and his original book, Nature Aquarium. I'll get it for you. 
Okay. <clears throat> Nature Aquarium World Book One, actually really rare now. This is like, okay. This uh, is a special, yeah. <laughs> special work. Um, and it, it absolutely blew my mind. So I just opened the book up, and you can see. Oh wow! Yeah. And, and actually, it, by the t- today's standards, these aren't actually that that high quality aquascaping. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was mind blowing, and it, it, it just is the direction I knew I wanted to take my hobby mm, because it just yeah. something happened it was like an almost like an epiphany I'm not really into religion or spirituality but there was something that really mm. kind of connected with me on a deeper level and I thought mm, yeah, I'm really mm. I absolutely love this I've never felt like this about any any hobby or anything before so I just relentlessly pursued um this this passion of trying to create you know some of the works similar to, to Takashi Amano mm, mm. and um as I as I learned more, I realised the UK hobby uh, lacked behind mm. massively on aquascaping when you compared it to the Far East and, and sort of West, other other European countries like Germany and Holland. And actually, it's, it's interesting. So I, I subscribed to a magazine called Practical Fishkeeping back in sort of two thousand and three, and um, I was reading some of the articles about about planted tanks and, and how to grow aquarium plants. And a lot of the information was actually really outdated and actually um, incorrect, factually and inc- scientifically incorrect. So um, I was I was a bit not I would say obnoxious, but I wrote in and I said, "Look, you know, this is this is wrong." <laughs> yeah, this is going on. Oh, yeah, no. this is wrong. But I, but I, I backed it up with photos, mm, actual mm. Uh, printed, film, you know, yeah, you know, posted snail mail photos, uh, a letter. And um, a couple of days later, I got a reply. I got an email. I said, "George, we love your tank. We'd, l- we'd like to do a mm. reader visit. We'd like to come to your home and you know take some photos and, and do a feature on you." But I was in the air force at the time, and I was just about to be deployed to uh, the Falkland Islands. So I actually stripped my tank down. Mm. But I said, "You know, I'm going to have a lot of free time probably in the Falklands. Um, how about I write some articles for you on this mm. new way of growing plants and, and aquascaping?" And they were really up for it, and that really got the ball rolling in terms of taking it from a hobby to, to the professional level. So I was still in the Air Force for 14 years and I still kept it as a hobby. But the hobby sort of Royal Air Force ratio was sort of swinging more towards the hobby, especially my passions for it as well. Mm. And then, um, long story short, um, my ex-wife decided to, to leave me. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to make a completely clean break and do something that I'm absolutely passionate about now. And that's when I... I took the plunge into um, into full time aquascaping. Tell me about this tank that we're looking at here, which is absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Um, is this your sort of? Is this your number one yeah. baby? Is yeah, it <laughs> your, it's, it's obviously in your front room or next to your sofa in your TV. So something you look at a lot. Um, do you tink, still tinker with this? Is it still yeah, a work yeah, in progress? Yeah, oh, definitely. This is almost a year old now. So I planted it a year ago. And it's gradually evolved over the months, and it's really trouble-free. I only probably maintain it a full maintenance session, so like a water change, clean the glass, clean the filter once a month. Uh, just top it off with water because it's open top. You do get quite a bit of evaporation. Top that off like once a week or so. But yeah, it's trouble-free. There's not many fish in there. I mean, I could you know feasibly stock four times as many fish as that, and it would still be okay. Uh, but the fact that there's a, only a few fish means there's less waste produced. Um, excess waste leads to algae, basically. So that's another mm. reason it works so well. Um, but for me, this this aquarium is a real good example of high impact versus low maintenance. And that's like the golden ticket for aquascapers is mm. can you make something look beautiful but actually not need to do much to it. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's my baby. It's one of the, one of my favourite aquascapes we've created so far, actually. Most of the plants are what we call epiphyte plants, so they're attached to the wood and the rocks, and they're really slow-growing and low-maintenance. So what, tell me about some of the plants that are in here. I yeah. recognize, The one I recognise, I think, is Anubius. Is that yeah. right in the front there? What else have you got yeah, in there? So we've got, we've got some Anubius, we've got some Bucophalandra. That's a really trendy plant at the moment. Mm. This comes from Borneo, although um, they're sort of tissue cultured now in, in European nurseries. Um, we've got Microsaurum, which is this large fern here. This is beautiful. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then in the and the other species we've got is the cryptocorini. So these brown leaf plants, these are all different species of, of cryptocorini. And these are super slow growing, um, really easy, don't need much light. In fact, all the plants in here are really easy. Um, anyone can grow these in, in kind of almost excuse me, any aquarium. And what about the lights on the top there? Yeah, they're quite high end. Um, they're called they're the, the manufacturer's called Kessel and they're LED and they're um they're they're quite interesting. You can see the shimmer effect. Mm. So you, the the I've got quite high level of surface agitation which creates ripples on the water surface and then the light bouncing off the water and because of refraction you get this cast of the ripple effects on the ceiling. Um, and that's because they're called what we call point source. So the the actual light itself is only about one centimetre in diameter and it has a, a big lens over it which spreads mm. the light across and is our aquarium light something you can spend oh. any, you know like yeah. the, the, the sky's the limit in yeah, terms of I mean, what you're spending you can spend you know £10 or you can spend £1,000 I mean that entire lighting system there is nearly £1,000 worth yeah what would you have to spend to get something that you would class as being decent-ish I mean are you talk is it kind of like do you at uh, each price point do you kind of get exponentially better lights so if you're paying a, getting paying a tenner for a light compared to paying 50 to paying 200 how does it does that work or yeah, it's, no not really <laughs> again I know it's a minefield this this, no, this question of lights I, is um, I like to compare I like to compare a lot of things to cars because mm. uh, most people get cars so if you imagine you can get to work in uh, like, like a Ferrari Mm. where you can get to work and afford they both get you there one gets you there in kind of style and luxury the other one gets you there you know costs mm. you a lot, lot, mm. lot less so um, with regards to lighting that's another you know massive topic obviously it's a really important part of growing plants but um, you don't need to spend a fortune and there's, there's so much conflicting advice especially on the internet about what spectrum what colour temperature is best for plants blah 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 my personal experience and recommendation is just go for what you can afford and go for what suits your taste mm, so mm. Um, the, the vast majority of, of lights now are LED so they're you know relatively energy efficient some are waterproof so if you accidentally knock it in the tank it's going to be fine they don't produce much heat um, so yeah like I said you can you can spend anything from you know a few pounds to thousands mm, of pounds mm. depending on some are controllable I mean this is controllable remote you can change the spectrum of the colour on the lamps and the timing and everything that they come on and off or remotely and is the technology advancing really fast now are you seeing new products coming on the market that you're like ooh that looks good I've got to try that is it still continuing to yeah it's always developing um the, the lighting market in particular is is more is more about controllability um the LEDs themselves are advancing, but not, not so quickly. They advanced super quick, like mm. 10 years ago, and mm. then they've kind of plateaued a little bit. Interestingly, the, the LED aquarium lighting market is driven by the car 
LED mm. market, and that's because I've, I've got a lot more money in that industry. Oh, right, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you, sorry, I'm not really, I've been incredibly ignorant about cars. So, you're talking about like the brake lights of cars now being LEDs? Yeah, yeah, so, and the headlights, and especially. The headlights. So, they're like okay. super powerful for relatively low So, that's why I keep getting blinded by yeah. fancy new cars <laughs> with the really fancy headlights. Oh, that's really, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I have to say, I'm not a car um, expert in any way, shape, yeah. or form. But that's, so that, I guess that's interesting because it's that. It's just the fact that that market, which is obviously a huge, enormous yeah. market for car research, yeah, yeah. Is, is then you feeding find, through. Exactly, you find, to that your most, you find that in most industries. The, the, mm. the biggest sector of, of whatever that industry is drives drives that product, and then other, yeah. other industries can tap into it. We talked about the plants in this tank. What about the fish you've got in here? Because I do, I do love a fish. Is this um, is this a, um, a heated? Mm. This this water is, is what we call tropical. Tropical. Yeah. So, so you've got. I, I recognise a couple of those fish from my childhood. Tell me what you've got in here. So the big, the big ones are called pearl garamis. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. They're pretty much fully grown now. Um, the ones you can see there, they're male and they're more colourful. Uh, these are called harlequin resboras. Uh, they used to be, I think, a common name used to be lamb chop resboras because <laughs> oh, yes. they had a black marking, looks like a lamb chop. And then the, the little loaches at the bottom there. Yep. These are called uh, dwarf chain loaches, and they're they're in there. They look great, um, but they're really good at eating pest snails. Oh, okay. So they're more of a utility fish. Um, and then I have um, lots of cherry shrimp in there as well, which breed. They, they're self-sustaining colony. Oh, okay. They get a lot of the a lot of them will get eaten by the bigger fish, mm. but because there's so much room for them to hide, and mm. they, they, there's a self-sustaining colony there. And I think that I mean people often sort of. Criti- not criticised, but think that fish are very, uh, you know, there's not a lot going on. But I would say that probably, especially some of those bigger fish, do you kind of get any sense of different, this sounds crazy, different personalities coming out? Like some of them are, that's a particularly feisty fish, or that's a yeah, particularly you, shy fish? You do, or... get, you do get a dominant fish normally mm. in an aquarium. I mean, the, the polar armies can be quite, especially the males, can be quite toe to toe sometimes. Um, but in terms of the smaller shoaling fish, there's no, mm. I, I can't differentiate. Yeah, them they're just anyway. they're just doing their thing as a yeah. as a mass. Yeah, but um, no, I, I, I generally don't sort of look at the fish as a, obviously their welfare is paramount, and you know I love them and everything like that. But I don't tend to have any emotional attachment to them. Mm. Uh, I, I view them as um, you know it's another palette for the for the canvas because mm. yeah, mm. it's. Aquascaping is is an art form. You know, it's it's not like it's not a fish tank. It's it's an aquascape. It's completely different. How on earth do you get it to look? So, I mean, this is a silly question, but I say this is somebody who has set up tanks in the for, in the past, and they always look a total mess. How do you? What is the technique that you use to arrange those plants in such a way? Obviously, this is an established tank, but yeah. I have seen newly established tanks, yeah. you know, pictures and videos where you think, well, how the heck have they got that looking so bedded in in such a short amount? Is there a technique that you use when you're arranging plants to do that? Um, I'd love to point you to my YouTube channel. Is yeah, I will do. Yes, to this completely from the beginning. Right well, I will put all that now. in my show notes for for yeah. listeners to go and, and go and look at actually because um, I think that's the. But the, the the main thing is is step by step. Okay, so you you put your gravel in, your substrate, and then you put your hardscape in. So the hardscape is fundamental. That's like the the back the backbone. Mm. You know, it's like the skeleton, and then you put you put your plants around the hardscape, and then. You have to. I mean, it's it's an advantage if you have some experience with the plants to know how big they grow, 
you know obviously you want to put the taller plants at the back the shorter plants at the front um, and that comes with experience obviously um, but yeah I mean this has evolved so much if you saw the first video that I did of this you know the hard you, you'll recognise the hardscape but the planting is unrecognisable mm, now mm. yeah and they do grow aquatic plants do do grow generally quickly compared to most most terrestrial plants um, a lot of them are actually you know, weeds in nature I mean a lot of these are epiphytes so they're not um, and in aquatic times they're actually relatively slow growing but yeah I mean the mosses as well these, these really help to kind of blend the textures in rather than it makes it look more naturalistic more kind of grown in more mature gives like almost like an ancient sort of mm, woodland mm, feel to it as well mm. um, and the colour palette's important so you know I've used dark browns you know bright greens but the, you know and everything in between and then the the fish I've chosen for their colour palette as well as they kind of complement the browns and the, and the ready textures as well, the ready kind of hues as well what at any point will you kind of tear this down and start again is there is there a lifespan for these kind of aquascapes when you're working on them um you, you could theoretically keep it going forever mm. it'd be a case of maintenance just mm. like in your garden mm. you know you don't sort of completely tear down your garden every mm. year or so mm. um so there, there is, you can keep it going forever but for me as a creator i always have an itch to create something new mm. so um actually to, this is nearly a year old and you know very rarely keep an aquascape running for more than a George in a while and for Patreon subscribers of five bucks a month or more you can go and listen to an extension to my interview with George where we cover even more top tips for tackling algae and the weird world of high net worth individuals and their aquariums when they get so large you need somebody in a wetsuit to help you maintain them. Also this week on my Patreon feed is an interview with Philippa Dominguez, who is an Instagrammer called Check My Plants from South Africa. You'll be hearing from her in an upcoming episode of the main podcast on photography and houseplants, but I wanted to run the whole interview with her on the Patreon feed because it's really fascinating and covers everything from growing cannabis to the weird world of South African succulents. So if you think that sounds like something you'd like to get your headphones around, then do become a Patreon subscriber. All the details are in the show notes. Now it's on to question of the week, which comes from Rosie, who has just discovered the podcast and she's already got a question. She's the kind of listener I like. She's got a peperomia problem. And the problem is this. Her raindrop peperomia has gone a bit curly and a bit lumpy and a bit weird she's not quite sure what's going on with it um, she says that it, the plant was in good condition when she bought it but then the leaves started to curl up and go lumpy she's been checking for bugs and couldn't find anything and she's wondering whether the cold air from an open window might have caused the problem and she sent me some lovely pictures of the plant now this is one of my favorite 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 plants so i'm hoping that i can help you rosie the thing about curling leaves is that they can be caused by any number of different things. But with a bit of detective work, I think we can figure out what's going on with your plant. On the issue of pests, these can cause leaves to curl and distort. 
It looks as if Rosie has looked at her plant very carefully and ruled this out, but it's always worth giving it a second look, checking every crevice and nook for some signs of pests, which could be anything from little white grains caused by the spider mite, fluffy bits, which are generally mealy bugs, or little tiny green, black, orange, or white creatures, white fly, aphids, and the like. Now, one thing I'm asking for for Christmas is a magnifying glass, a botanist hand lens, which will be very useful for getting up close and personal with plants and checking them for pests. So this is something possibly worth investing in uh, for your plant collection if you're worried about pests. But let's presume we can rule that out. As I say, pests can do damage. Aphids and spider mites sucking sap will distort leaves. But let's assume that's not the problem here. I think the problem in this case is something called edema. It's either spelled O-E-D-E-M-A or E-D-E-M-A, depending on which part of the world you're in. And this is quite a common problem with houseplants that have fleshy leaves. Things like peperomias and jade plants and sheffleras uh, are often fall prey to this particular problem. And what you get is bumpy, lumpy bits, little blistery looking things on the underside of the leaves, usually, although you might be able to see them on the top as well. And what's it caused by? Well, what happens is the roots are dragging up more water from the soil than the leaves are able to get rid of. And this ends up with the cells in that leaf going pop. And you end up with these lumpy, bumpy bits where that water has escaped from the cell and done some damage to the plant. And what does it mean? Well, it probably means that a number of different things are going on. Number one, peperomias such as this with the fleshy leaves don't need a great deal of water. Mine go uh, quite a long time without seeing a sniff of the watering can. So I wonder if this plant has been a little bit overwatered, Rosie. Uh, also check how the compost is doing, how the potting mix is. Is it free draining or is it all stodgy? It may be that your plant needs repotting into a lighter potting mix with extra added perlite just to allow the excess water to drain away and just be a little bit more conservative with the watering can. And what about the cold draft? This is a classic scenario in which edema will develop because the plant's been sat there, the soil's relatively warm and then there's a cold blast from the window and cold moist air comes in and you end up with the water being drawn up rapidly from the potting mix and then hitting these leaves which just aren't able to transpire quickly enough in the air conditions to get rid of that water. And what can Rosie do about the leaves that have been affected? Well, there's not anything you can do to reverse the condition as such. If you if you remove those leaves, then you'll just be left with a bit of an unsightly plant. By improving the conditions, you won't get any more leaves that look like this, hopefully. So it's just a question of letting the plant grow past the problem, which it should do. If it proves that this plant is looking really really ugly because of the edema then in the springtime you could do a drastic pruning and cut the stem and it will bush out and regrow fine provided that you've made sure that the soil is free draining as i've said and that you're not overwatering. it should bounce back this is a really tough plant the only thing that's really going to kill it is too much water I really hope that helps, Rosie, and that your peperomia is looking good soon. If all else fails, you can just cake off a healthy leaf and propagate that because peperomias are very easy to propagate from a single leaf. So don't think that all is lost if your plant starts looking really miserable. Try a little bit of leaf propagation. 
Take a whole leaf, including all of the stalk or the petiole, and insert that into some gritty compost wrap in a clear plastic bag and wait for it to root. It's as easy as that. I do hope that's helped, Rosie, and that your peperomia is looking great before long. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, do drop me a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. And now back to my chat with George. Next, I want to find out what George has got planned next. Oh, you see the, some... see the bigger cabinet there with a the smaller, just a yeah. in front of you. Yeah. Um, that's obviously, the, the tank's obviously too small for that cabinet. I'm getting a custom built aquarium to go on there. Oh, okay. And that's going to be quite shallow. And then I'm going to have like massive bits of wood coming out the top. And then emergent plants as well. So they, a lot of plants in nature grow out of water. In fact, about 90% of aquatic plants will grow out of water. They prefer to grow out of water. Mm, in fact. Mm. So I'll have loads of emergent stuff. And then, um, yeah, that's quite exciting. Yeah. Is that a very different kind of thing when you're dealing with it under the water and above the water? Does that make it technically more difficult? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, in nature, like I said, 90, about 90% of aquatic plants prefer to grow out of water. Mm. So let's take the Amazon, for instance. So, you know, sort of a, a large portion of the year, the plants are growing out of water. And the advantage of that is they have more access to CO2 in the air. Uh, more access to light mm. they're more robust physically more robust because they have to, to sustain their own body weight and then what happens when the rainy season comes the plants are flooded and then to survive they have to adapt quite considerably and they they actually physically change their their characteristics quite considerably one of the problems a lot of beginner hobbyists have is they'll buy when you buy a plant from a from a shop, typically it's just come in from the nursery and it's been grown out of water because it's easier to you know, it's, they get bigger yields for less costs, more economical to grow plants like that, like in nature. And so the shop will buy the plants from the nursery. They all be in their what we call emerged form, out of water form, and then their customer will will bring that plant home. They put it in their tank, and then that plant then then will hopefully transform into its underwater form, mm. its submerged form. Now, during this process, the plant has to use loads of energy into changing, you know, its kind of physiology. And during that, it, it's not growing and therefore it's not fighting off algae. Mm. And so this kind of leads the door open to algae a little bit. So it's where a lot of people like complain about die-off and melting and things like this. And it's normally because the plant is, is struggling to adjust mm. from out of water to underwater growth. Now, there are some easy steps you can take to help avoid it is buy the plant as fresh as you can from the from the shop so have a have a chat with the staff you know when you get any next plant delivery in mm. get it as soon as you can because typically a shop will bring the their plants in and they'll keep them in their own holding system and the holding system isn't isn't opt- optimal for growing plants mm. so they're slowly dying mm. basically mm. and then by the time the customer gets them they could be half dead and then they're really going to struggle when they get them home right um, my personal preference now is to buy tissue culture plants. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, these. So yeah, they come I in. Saw, just saw some at the trade show in Holland that I was just at. Oh, um, cool. They had a couple of stands which had uh, which had them in these clear yeah. plastic boxes. That's or, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is amazing. Yeah. So these these plants are grown in laboratory conditions. So they're guaranteed to be free from algae, free from snails, pest snails, mm. free from disease, and they're actually. Um, you know, I talk about Tropica because they have a, a patented uh, tissue culture plant now um, system where they grow the plants in actually like a. In, they're normally grown in agar jelly, which is like a mm, thick, gloopy mm. gel, gel type thing, and it's, it provides all the nutrients that the plant needs in these little pots. 
Um, but Chopper can now have a liquid version, which means the plant is actually readily adapted to its underwater okay. growth. So as soon as you get that and put it in your tank, that plant is now happy and it's going to start growing straight away. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my preferred way of, of buying plants. Yeah. And what do your family and friends think about this <laughs> this profession of yours? Do people are still people like? George in his fish tanks, like dismissing your life's work, or, or do people um, kind of are quickly won over by actually seeing what you I do? Think, I think the majority of them really, really like it. They like mm. you know, you've got to be, you know. I think most people, I'd like to think that most people in the world, if they saw that, would be impressed mm. and would like mm. that in their own home. Mm. Um, I think it's a bit. I think it's a, a lot of people especially acquaintances that don't know me that well and they realize actually I've made quite a nice sort of living out of it now and uh, you know got a, a nicely sort of growing career it, it's interesting that something so niche can you know can op- offer so much mm, great opportunity mm. um, but my my fundamental kind of um, philosophy is is I, I, I honestly believe that aquascaping enriches people's lives mm. you know I suffer from PTSD and you know I had some like pretty bad experiences I was bomb disposal in the Air Force and I found you know one of the biggest sort of therapeutic things that I could do is, is, is one is aquascaping and two I like running so sounds like they're both completely divorced from each other but actually mm. I get a lot of inspiration when I'm running for creating my next aquascape because I, I like to run amongst nature and through woods and by rivers and things like this so it's all kind of connected mm. to this um healthy sort of therapeutic and kind of calm and, and connecting with nature i think it's really important especially in today's modern yeah, society definitely yeah. and you you i'm actually met you at the rhs urban garden show um a few weeks ago obviously you're trying to get your uh, well, you're calling it a niche, but you're getting getting aquascaping in front of a, a wider audience of gardeners. Yeah. I mean, would you say for for anyone who's listening who thinks, well, you know, I'm pretty good at you know growing X, Y, and Z houseplants, um, how easy is it to transition into aquascaping from a wider a wider understanding of, it, of in other kinds of indoor gardening? Is it you know, well, actually, you've just got to do your research and you've yeah. already got the basics or is there is it like a next level thing where you really need to um i mean i'm not a horticulturist so i can't speak with much you know credibility um but it, it's not hard uh, and anyone can do it you just have to follow the, the, the basic kind of steps now the tr- i think the trouble is with the, the age of the internet and so many you know facebook groups and you know there's loads so much information out there it's trying to find out what what's good and what and what isn't so good um, and that's I'll go back to the point I made earlier about finding one source and sticking mm, to it mm. um, you know I'll give my my own sort of YouTube channel a bit of a plug but there's there's lots of tutorial videos and, and, and sort of everything from real basic how to set up a really easy off the shelf aquarium to you know setting up something like we see here mm. and everything in between um, but it, it it's simple it's, it's five things lighting and there's uh, feeding the plants so there's like I use a liquid fertiliser every day and also CO2 injection you don't have to use CO2 injection oh that sounds okay let me show you okay so you can see that fire extinguisher yeah. there oh yeah yeah 
Yeah, that, so that provides CO2, that injects it into the water and then that feeds the plants. Wow, okay. So you, obviously plants need CO2 mm. uh, to, to grow. They, they mm. use the carbon from the CO2 to actually build tissue. Mm. Mm. So the more CO2 they have, the, the quicker they can grow, the more healthy, robust they can grow. Um, so, yeah, lighting, feeding the plants, um, substrate, uh, circulation, which is really important because plants can't move. They have to get the nutrients by the water moving. And and then maintenance—that's the big thing. Mm, that a lot of people mm. s- sort of skimp on. They'll set up a be- you know set up a nice aquarium, spend you know X amount of money on it. It'll look great, and then they'll they'll sort of neglect it, and then they'll get algae, and then they'll get disheartened, and mm, then you mm. know that, that's where the problems occur. Yeah. So if, if there's one top tip I'd recommend is um, be scrupulous with your maintenance. Set mm. aside you know one hour a week, the same day if you can, and then just keep it religious. I mean. I sometimes I don't follow my own advice. Oh, that's go. yeah. But, um, I mean, when you go away on a trip, say, what happens to your tanks when you're away for a week? Are they okay? Yeah, normally they're pretty good. I mean, uh, my fiance Emma will add the liquid fertilizer and add the fish food while I'm away, which is very simple to do. And then if I'm away for a long period, she might need to top the tanks off with water if they've evaporated. Uh, and then I'll just have to do a load of maintenance when I get back. Yeah. Yeah. And is the is the is the the glass technology coming on as well? We talked about the LED lights, but is yeah. the glass technology developing in that? I mean, well, the one thing I always uh, the other uh, issues that I get with terrariums, and perhaps you might have an insight into this from a from an aquascaping point of view, is deposits on the glass. I'm not talking about algae, but like yeah. hard water. What's the secret to avoiding that? Because it drives me nuts with terrariums. You get this crusty... Yeah, there is no way around it. Really. Is there any... There's no... no well, I'm, I'm, no. How disappointing. There's no magic bullet for this. No. Um, I mean, you can use... The softer your water, the less... Mm. You, the less build-up you'll get because there's not as many dissolved mm. minerals in softer water. So if you look at my aquarium right now, you can see... You can actually see some remnants of, of hard... Scape, of hard, you mm. know, um, mm. limestone build-up. So this is quite, we live in a hard water area and I only mm. use tap water. So when this evaporates, it's only pure H2O that's evaporating and it leaves mm. behind the, the dissolved solids. Um, and the harder the water, the more you'll see that. So, yeah. But no, it's, it's the, gla- the glass itself hasn't, hasn't evolved really. It's, you know, glass is glass. It's just mm. sand that's been melted down basically. And you have different purities. This is a real kind of what we call low iron. So you can see it's like a light blue tinge, mm, mm. whereas you have a normal float glass, it will have a, like a dark green. And actually, it, it, you know, this is a lot higher clarity. Well, it looks amazing, I have to say. I could sit and watch that all day. I'm sure that you could too, but you've probably got work to do. But uh, yeah, it's, it is amazing. Rela- there is nothing more relaxing than uh, watching a tank. And uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely beautiful. The, I, lo- I just love the... Um, I can't think what the names of the dark red browny plants at the back. Oh, that the looks crypt- like sea, kind of like seaweed. It does a bit, yeah. Crypto cryptocryonies, yeah. Yeah, cryptocryonies. Sort of that is really that really adds something to the tank. Um, yeah. It's really beautiful. Um, I'm, I bet you'll be. Will you be kind of sad when you do break it down and do something else, or will you just be like onto the next challenge? I think I will be sad about this one because it, it, it. The last year, so. It, funny when you create something you think back to where you were as a mm. you know a, a me and my you know where I was in my career and everything and I think back to a year ago and I think back to where I am now mm. it, it's, it's grown pretty quickly you know things mm. like the RHS and things like this um, 
So you almost have an emotional attachment to the to the aquascape, not because it looks beautiful, but because of the experiences that you've gone through and mm. and and sort of this has evolved with it. So it's quite it's, it's a bit deeper than oh, it's really pretty. I don't want to get rid of it. It's like a, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it's. I hate the the word going on a phrase going on a journey, but you have been on a journey while you've been looking after this tank and bringing it yeah. to this point. I guess. Yeah, definitely. Do you have? I mean, do you have visions of one day, like I don't know, putting a big extension on your house so you can have fifty different aquascapes going? I mean, I don't can... know. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's you'll find a lot of professional aquascapers don't have aquascapes at home. Really? Because they're doing it every day, day in, day out. Now, I, I made a promise to myself when I game full-time that I would always have at least one aquascape at home, otherwise I'd lose my hobby. And I think it's really important, for me anyway, to have a hobby and um, so I can enjoy this for myself, you know, like we are now, just sitting here looking at it. Um, but also, it's great for material you know I, I film this probably every month or so and um, people all over the world see it and inspire mm. you know hopefully inspires new people and, and experienced people as well brilliant well George thank you so much I'm totally inspired and slightly up. scared by the um, the the Im- immense massive material and information that one needs to take in but I guess like anything like with, with indoor gardening or plants anything yeah. you just start and you, yeah, you try things and you experiment and that takes you on your way to um, getting into this new hobby but it's it's a stunning tank and um, thank you very much for showing it to me very much thanks for coming Thanks so much to George for showing me his wonderful aquascapes. If you want to check out the show notes, you'll find those at janeperone.com. They include links to George's YouTube page, Instagram, Twitter and website. But if you've got your phone handy now, you can look him up on Instagram as George Farmer Studios and on Twitter as The Aquascaper. If any of you are into aquascaping, I'd love to see some of your work. So do hit me up with some images and head on over to Houseplant Fans of On The Ledge on Facebook to share your work with the rest of the listening community. I'll be back next Friday with more houseplant fun. Until then, have a great week. you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops an instrument the boy called Happy Day Gakana by Samuel Corwin and Overthrown by Josh Woodward all licensed under Creative Commons see janeperone.com for details